Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. And the entire worship team, right? That was so soothing and peaceful and refreshing, wasn't it? So thank you. Have you ever met someone who has it all together? You know, the type. They have everything like perfectly planned. Their planning document or thing that they carry around is color-coordinated. They have everything in order. They know the right thing to say at the right time. If they have children, their children never misbehave. And if they do, they know exactly what to tell their children so they fall right back in order instead of making a public scene, right? They look great. They look like they have the fountain in youth in them. They don't seem to age or gain a single pound if they eat all kinds of burgers and fries. They're just perfect. They have it all together. And don't we love them? The truth is, right, no one has it all together. When you look long enough or meet someone and get to really know them, even if they look like they have it all together, you soon find out that they're just as broken as you and I are, that none of us can have it all together. But we desire that. We, desire, we look at those people and we go, I, I want to be like that person. I want to be kinder and gentler. I want to be in better shape. I want to have things in order. We, we long for that. And so this uh, season, we've been on this series, Becoming You, Because although the world will give us all kinds of uh, counsel and books and seminars that we can go to so that we can become the best version of ourselves, what we have been learning is that that is the truth of that is really found in Scripture. The Bible tells us that to become all that God created us to be, we were created on purpose for a purpose, that to become all of that, We must become like Jesus. We started this whole series saying we must look to Jesus, behold him, actually try to understand him and understand that God has but one purpose is to make us more and more like him. And last week we talked about how that doesn't happen in isolation. It happens when we're in community because we're together with other people who are also seeking to be all that God calls them to be. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We hold each other accountable. We might even uh, share the faith and strengthen one another in our faith. Today, we're going to look at how to become all that God created us to be. We're going to look to how to become fully ourselves as we join Jesus on mission. Because while it is good and we can become like Jesus in a direct relationship with God, our time with God, and it is good that we do so in community Even then, if we, or as a group, we don't focus our attention outside of ourselves, it just becomes another self-serving thing we do, right? We, We just, we're doing it for ourselves, only for ourselves. And we can do that in isolation by ourselves, but we can also do that in a group. We can have a, a whole group of people, and if we just hang out just for the purposes of each other, we're just a holy huddle, right? And it, and we see that sometimes, and it's unproductive because At the end of the day, as we will see today in Scripture, that's not where God is going to end the work in us. He really finishes this idea of us becoming who we are 
when we join Jesus in his mission. We join Jesus in his mission, that's when we find out our true selves. And that's what we're going to look at today. Our whole uh, theme for this series has been a quote from C.S. Lewis, in that he said, your real new self will not be found when you go looking for it. It, goes, it, it is found when you look to Jesus. And we're going to look at today at the mission that Jesus came to do and how we are to join, how it's going to transform us. As we just heard Gloria read Paul's words, you see Paul uh, seeking something that is of great value to him. But if you take a minute and for extra credit at home, read the verses just before what we read today, chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 9. And what you hear Paul saying is Paul is a guy who tried to find himself in all the ways you and I do. Paul was uh, born in the right family. He was born of the right tribe of the Israelites. He was successful at his work. He was disciplined. He was a hard worker. He had great education. And he sought all those things, and he accomplished them. In fact, he lists them for us. At the beginning of this chapter, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee, which is like a man who knew God's law. I was very disciplined to the point of being blameless in the eyes of the law of God. He was successful. And he says, I consider all of that dung. I consider all of that worthless, he says, because there's something greater. Even in all those things, I did not find myself. There's something greater. And that's where he's going to lead us to today. Starting in verse 10, Paul says this. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I somehow will reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul begins to say, what is that greater thing that I seek? I seek to know him. Not just know him, but know the power of his resurrection. And not just that, but to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, we've got to pause back at this word, to know. Because the Greek word behind this, the word that Paul uses, it's not the casual, like, I know about that. I know about that person. It's a very experiential knowing. The word is ginosko, and it means to know fully, completely, right? A complete sense of knowledge, to know personally, to know by experience. Like, there's no doubt that I know because I have experienced it. Paul wants to know Jesus in that way. Now, this Greek word, gnosko, has an equivalent in the Hebrew scriptures. All along the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, you see a word that says yada. Yada means the same thing as gnosko. It means to know that well. Now, yada was made quite famous, not only in Genesis chapter 4, where it says Adam knew his wife Eve, meaning he knew her intimately, but it's also made famous by that sitcom that some people truly love, Simon, right? And so what we're going to see a quick little video uh, um, of here's how yada is used to represent that thing, which is basically, I know it. I know it. You don't have to say it. It's clear to me. I have experienced it. Check this out. This is from Seinfeld. So I'm on Third Avenue, minding my own business and yada, yada, yada. I get a free massage and a facial. What a succinct story. <laughs> I'm surprised you drive a Cadillac. Oh, it's not mine. It's my mother's. Are you close with your parents? Well, they gave birth to me and yada, yada. Yada what? Yada, yada, yada. 
in, in this version, it's sort of showing, like, I don't even have to tell you. It's, it's known, that kind of knowledge. In fact, my husband used to think uh, that he was an advanced ATV rider until he flipped the thing and broke a few ribs and his leg, and now he knows by experience that he's an intermediate ATV rider. My grandchildren, I tell them, don't put your hand on the stove, don't put your hand on the fireplace, you're going to get burned. And they might know that, but they really know that when they touch it. Now they know. It's like, don't touch that. I've touched it. It hurts. We're not going there, right? That kind of knowledge is the knowledge that Paul was seeking. He wanted to know God to that level, to be that clear of who Jesus was. Now, this is Paul we're talking about. I mean, if you know anything about Paul, Paul is by now, when he's writing these words, in prison. He had been in prison for some time for following Jesus. In fact, Paul is the same guy who was blinded by Jesus because he was after the Christians, and Jesus stopped him along the way to Damascus, and he hears Jesus' voice. He has this huge, powerful encounter with Jesus, and then he goes out and spreads the gospel. He opens all kinds of churches. He's discipling people. He is teaching God's word, and yet 30 years into his ministry, Paul is saying, this is what I seek to do. All of this experience is not enough. Can we ever fully know Jesus Christ? The answer is no. There's so much to know about him. Paul is saying, I seek to know him. I will always seek to know him. There is more to learn about Jesus. You can't just say, I know him. Not yada, yada, yada. No, no. There's so much more to know about Jesus. And what Paul is going to show us today is to, to know Jesus is to really join him in the work that we're doing. Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. If you read anything that Paul writes, soon you find out that he is very passionate about the resurrection. In fact, Paul says, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus did not come back to life from the dead, then there is no resurrection for anyone else, including me. He says, if there's no resurrection, I, of all people, is most to be pitied. Our faith is useless, essentially. That's how important the resurrection is. Paul wants to know the resurrection because the resurrection power, it's the same power, he says, that lives in us. He wrote these words to the Romans uh, church. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit. That Spirit in us, that power in us, Paul says, brings things back to life. Paul wants to know about that, and the only way to know about that is to experience it. When we join Jesus in mission, we watch him bring things back to life, people back to life, marriages back to life, dreams back to life, health back to life, hopelessness brought back to life. Paul says, I want to know and understand that power. And then he says, I want to know and understand the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus. Why would he say that? Why would he want to know that? This is a guy who knew suffering. Remember, he, had, he was in prison. He had been flogged many times. He had been beaten close to death. He had been chased after. He was, he was constantly under all kinds of attack. He was shipwrecked. This is a man who knew suffering, and he says, I want to know further this idea of Jesus' suffering. Why? Because in that understanding, Paul 
understood that God is with us in the deepest, most painful moments of life. Jesus understands our pain. He suffered the most horrific kind of suffering. He understands our sorrows when we suffer. In fact, this is another word that Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Paul's essentially saying, I want to see and understand and behold and truly know the suffering of Jesus because I am reminded through his suffering that I'm not alone in my suffering. I am reminded that those who are suffering are not alone in their suffering, that God is never distant to those who are suffering. He is close. He is with us. That's the kind of knowing that Paul wants. Paul wants to know the character of Jesus. He wants to know the ways of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. He wants to see the power of Jesus, and he wants to know the love of Jesus. And what is the best way for us to do that, right? Paul even prays for us that we might know the depth of the love of Jesus, how great it is. But there's one way to really know it, and that is to experience it. That's why Paul says right after that, he goes, not that I have already reached the goal. In other words, 30 years into ministry, I'm seeking this for purpose. I don't have it all together. I haven't gotten there yet. But he says this, I'm not perfect yet, but I make, you read it with me, every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He goes, I make every effort to try to know Jesus this way. I put all of my energy towards that. It is that important to me, he says. I haven't gotten there, but I'm doing everything I can to experience Jesus. And then he says in verse 13, while I haven't considered myself to have taken a hold of it, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Paul says, the only way I can actually understand all this, there are some things I'm going to have to leave behind. There are some things I'm going to have to drop in order to know Jesus fully in this way and therefore be all that God has called me to be. And that's the case for you and I, because there's some things we have to leave behind when we're called to follow Jesus on his mission. I wanted to illustrate this to you today, hopefully in a way that sticks with us. Um, And and it's this idea that sometimes we ourselves hold on to things that keep us from being all that God calls us to be. There is um, a method used to capture monkeys around the world. You know, there are millions of monkeys all over the world. And while we think they're very cute and agile and super fun, uh, in some places of the world, they're actually a pest. They, They destroy farm areas and eat some of the props. And so farmers have devised an ingenious way to capture the monkeys. What they do is they take a coconut, And they make a hole, or a gird, and they make a hole on it and put a few goodies in there, maybe a banana or some fruit, because they love fruits and nuts. And then they tie it to a tree, and a monkey comes down the tree and goes, oh, that looks really good, and puts their hand, my hand's too big to go in here, but puts their hand into the uh, coconut. I have a picture of a monkey with their hand. Do we have that? Like that? And then what happens is they grab onto the good stuff inside, and this hole is big enough for their hand to go in, but not their fist. 
So once their hand is closed inside, they can't take their hand out. Now, what does a monkey need to climb a tree? Their hands, right? So what happens is they're in there trying to get their hand out of this coconut, and while they're doing that, that's when the farmers can come in and snatch them and send them off someplace else. And so here's the picture I want us to have in mind. Sometimes we behave like monkeys, and we grab onto things. They might be good, but they hold us from being all that God called us to be. They keep us back from becoming who God created us to be. And so I'm going to ask uh, my husband to demonstrate this for us. Are you cool with that? We're going to have a little fun here. This is my husband, Jim. Let's say hi to him. And um, Richard, can you come and help me too? I'm going to ask you. This is, Richard doesn't know what's coming. He's like, what? Come up here, right up front here. Thank you. Richard, good news. You're going to be Jesus today. Are you ready? No. Did you, okay, well, sorry. that's perfect. Perfect answer, right? Okay, so this is, these are going to represent the coconuts. We're going to do two hands for Jim. And there are some things we put on these. So, Jim, would you hold these? I'm these the are, monkey. You're the monkey, sorry. I know, I know. I, he is my husband. I can make fun of him a little bit. All right, so here's chocolate kisses because my husband loves chocolate kisses. How many chocolate kiss lovers are in the room? All right, here you go. Good. So these represent things. So on one jar, we have things that we know for a fact are not good, but we hold on to them. Things like worry, right? Anxiety. You yell out some things. What else do we tend to hold? Fear. Complaints, right? A critical, a critical mindset, maybe. Uh, how about control? Pride, right? Any addiction? Shame, yes. Addictions. Judgment, okay, all kinds of good stuff. All right. Then, on the other one, are things that appear to be good, but they hold us back too. What kind of things would those be? Maybe our love for money? We kind of need money to care for us, but we kind of get connected to it. How about success, our desire for success, reaching that pinnacle? Or maybe even our own desire for perfection, how things go our way. Any control freaks in the house? I'm in there. We hold on to all kinds of things. Or maybe our own idea how things should be. Any of you like have that? Like, it should work out this way, God. Let it be this way. Not my way, you know, this way. And we hold on to that. And so then we put our hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. Oh, honey, these are going to really stick. We're going to have trouble getting them out. And that's us. Jesus wants us to join him in his mission, but this is what we look like. And most of the time, we're like turning away from God when we're attaching ourselves to those things, right? And Jesus, you ready, Richard? You're going to be Jesus. Jesus comes and takes a hold of us, like Paul says, takes a hold of us and turns us around towards him. And now Paul says, I grab hold of that which has grabbed hold of me. Can we do that? Does it work too well, Jim? Not at all. Not working for me. Not working for you either. <laughs> so Jesus says, okay, we got to let some of those things go. So Jesus will take off these things. You can give these things that you're grabbing onto. You, all you have to do is let go and now follow Jesus. So Jim, you can follow Jesus off stage here. Well done. Well done. Let's give him a pause. Ha, <laughs> ha, 
<laughs> well, good monkey. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a funny and simple illustration, but man, is that not true? Do we not hold on like a grip like this, things that actually keep us from being all that God called us to be? And the power is in our own hands to let go, but we don't. We don't let go of control. We don't let go of worry. God says, listen, don't worry about anything. I'm the one who provides for you. We, we don't let go of anxiety. We don't let go of shame. When he says, I went to the cross, I paid the price, it's done. Go out and live in freedom. We hold on to shame. That was me. I held on to shame for seven years after I became a believer. I just wouldn't let go of it. I thought, it's my job to punish myself, you know? How silly is that? I could not be all that God called me to be until I let go. And Paul says, I reach for Jesus, but I let go of some things so that I can do so. And now, now I can join Jesus on the mission that he's calling me to. Because it's on this mission that we actually get to know Jesus in a new way, that we get to experience him in such a way we experience the power of the resurrection, we experience the power of his love when we are in mission with him. He says this, he goes, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. God has called us to this mission And Paul says, I pursue this as my goal. This is my number one priority, to follow God in this way. And what is the mission that Jesus came to do? One of the things he came to do was to bring and save the lost. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's what he invites us to do, to join him in this work. When I first came to Mariner's Church, the very first thing I volunteered to do um, was the, the, new, the student building where the kindergarten through fifth grade children are there right now uh, during the services. I volunteered to serve there. And they were opening the building, and they invited people to come and do all kinds of wonderful things in there. And I thought, great, I'm going to go serve. I have all this experience. They're going to love me. And I walk up to the lady, and she gives me a bucket and some rags and a sprayer and goes, please clean all the windowsills in the building. Have you seen that building? I was, my mission, I had a Puerto Rican moment. I was like, ¿Qué? Un momentito. ¿Qué está hablando? It was like, you see Latina all over me and you think, go clean. He's like, what is this? I had such an attitude. I did not want to do it at all. So, of course, I took the bucket, I took the rags, and I started. And as I'm walking through this building, I'm having a bit of an argument with God. I try to join you in your mission, and this is the job you give me. I have all this experience, all this knowledge, all this wisdom. I am all that, and I'm cleaning windowsills. But you know what I didn't realize? You know what happens in that building? Little children come, and they hear about Jesus. They hear about God. They hear about the truth of the gospel. They hear about the person God wants to create them to be. And while the world is speaking all kinds of lies to them, and by golly, just look at the educational system, some of the things that children are even being taught through that. Culture, society, the the internet, the technology, they're constantly being bombarded with things that will bring them towards death, death of relationship death of relationship with God, to another dented road. And us who are old enough, we know if we've tried our way long enough, we know those things do not satisfy, but there are little minds that yet don't know. 
And we get to join Jesus in the mission of bringing dead things back to life. And while I was there cleaning the windowsills, I obviously did not understand that even that little part was joining Jesus in that amazing work. Jesus said this. He said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers. Every one of us is needed. He came to save and rescue the lost. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives us this picture of what he came to do. He says, I am like the shepherd who lost, had a hundred sheep. One of them went lost. He left 99 to go after that one. He says, I'm like that woman who lost a precious coin in her home, and she turns the whole house upside down to find that one coin. And then he says, I am like the father whose son runs away from him, takes all of the inheritance, spends it and wastes it and makes a mess out of his life. But he returns to the father, and there he is with his hands open saying, come back, I came to rescue the lost. And then he invites you and I to join him in that work. We will get to know who we are when we join him in that work. We get to watch as Jesus brings dead things back to life. You look at that person that you know. Well, you think there's no way that person's ever going to know Jesus. They have a hard heart and a hard head. They're as stubborn as could be, and they don't like God. You think that's a hopeless cause. That's the person Jesus came to save, and you're the person that God may use to do so. Those people, that group of people, you go, I, I don't get them. I don't understand them. I want, they eat funny. They, their food smells. You know, I, they talk funny. I don't want to have anything to do with those people. That, you know, God, you're just going to have to, like, do something with them. No, no, God says, no, no, I'm sending you. I'm using you to go talk to those people. How about that? that some people say, well, what about those people out in Africa in the jungle somewhere that don't ever hear about Jesus? What's going to happen to them? God's choosing you. Now, you may not physically go there. But you can join in prayer, in service to organizations that are doing all they can to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to them. You see, the solution is you. God created you to be part of that mission that you might experience his resurrection power. The second thing Jesus came to do was to serve. He didn't come here as a king to rule over us, mighty and big. He came as a baby. And scripture tells us he made himself nothing He took on the posture of a servant, as Philippians 2 tells us. He says, he made himself in the likeness of humanity. From the royal place that he was in, he took on a lower position that he might serve one another. He told his disciples, he took off his his robes and then he washed their feet. And they're like, no, 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 don't clean our feet. That's not your role. And he goes, you don't understand. I must do this because you must do this. You want to become you? You have to join Jesus in the work of serving others. Well, I was cleaning that building, and it took hours for me to finish every windowsill in that building. Have you seen it? I'm telling you, I'm whining right now. But I tell you, that was the best time for me because during that entire experience, as I was going room to room to room, God was doing a mighty work in my heart. He was changing me. He was teaching me there is nothing too low of a service for any of us. There's no place we can't take one place in the work that Jesus is doing. Don't think like I'm overqualified or I'm underqualified. You are qualified because Jesus says that you're qualified. And he calls us to join him in that service. He came to serve and he came to be generous. Jesus gave 
it all. He gave his life. Paul gave it all. Paul says, I, I'm being poured out like a wine, completely poured out. There's no better way to live than to give it all to God. And that's what Jesus came to do. It says in um, Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Out of the wealth of Jesus, the knowledge, the wisdom, the power of Jesus, he gave all of that up that he might give us the power and the abilities and the provision that we might do the work that he calls us to do. Out of the wealth of his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection, he gives us, he takes our brokenness, our sinfulness, our, our addictions, our worries, all of that stuff. He takes that and he returns to us out of his goodness. He makes us right in the sight of the Lord. He was rich. We were poor. He makes us rich as he becomes poor. He is generous. And he asks us to join him in that generosity. Not just with our money, of course with our money, because frankly, nothing holds us tighter than money. And money has a way of perverting. There's nothing wrong with money per se, but our love for money, which can pervert our heart. And when we give back to God from what he gives us, we keep a right relationship with money so that it does not have power over us. We recognize all that we have comes from God. So we give of our money, yes. Here at the chapel, we have offering boxes all along the back. This is our way of saying every time we come, we're going to join Jesus in his generosity. We're joining him on mission. But we also do it with our talents, with our abilities, with our experience, with our wisdom. We can use all that God has done in our lives so far to join him on mission and help others. So whatever you've gone through, every part of your story, everything you've collected up to this point, God will use. Jesus will use to help another. You just let him open up these opportunities for you. Here in the chapel, we have an amazing uh, elder team. Our elder is going to be up front here today, Richard. And, and also we have a prayer team. These are people who say, okay, I'm going to join Jesus in prayer. I don't even have the power to save someone else. I don't have the power to heal someone else's body. I don't know what it takes. I know only Jesus can do it, but I'm joining. I'm participating. I'm doing the best I can. I'm not even a great prayer warrior, but I'm showing up, and I'm trusting God to do what only he can do, right? And then we act out of generosity for what he gives us, not just our talents, but we give our time. Now, you might be thinking, you know, I don't have, that's all great, and I do want to become me, but I don't have time. You don't know my life. You don't know what's going on with my situation. These are the people. They'll do it. Usually we'll, people will say that. We'll go, well, look it. There's lots of us. Someone will take care of that problem. We don't have to do it. I don't have to spend my time doing it. But it's only when you give of your time, when you actually pour out the most precious thing to you, that you get to experience God at work. And you get to find yourself as you're with him, as you join him on mission. You see, the time to join Jesus on his mission is when? Now. It's today. And you can find every little way. If you don't have an idea of how to do it, just ask me. Fill out a connect card. I'll help you find a way. We want you to find a way to join Jesus on mission. And as we respond today, as what God has been telling us, we're going to take the time, as we always do here at the chapel, 
to respond to the various stations. And, and we have the confessional cross where we go and empty out the stuff in a jar, let go of some things to Jesus. We come and light candles where we're reminded we now get to be the light of the world. We get to bring hope to others. We're being used by Jesus to care for the lost and the hurting and the marginalized. We bring justice to those who are oppressed. He uses us. We join our prayer team. And some of you might say, Inez, I barely made it in here today. I got some stuff going on in my life. Don't ask me to do anything else. Well, listen, I want, we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. And even if you're not in that situation, you're like, oh, life is great. Life is awesome. But I have no clue how to serve God, what to do. Ask our team to pray with you, for you. This is their opportunity to come and serve you. And then we come and we take communion. Beautiful reminder of the generosity of Jesus, where he gave it all for us. He made himself poor that we might become rich. He gave his life, his good life, so that we would not experience death. We get to experience the power of resurrection every week when we gather together in community and remember that. But I want to end with these words, not my words, but the words of Martin Luther King. As we are celebrating that tomorrow, one of the things that he understood was the importance of the time. He was a man. Was he perfect? Was, did he have it all together? The answer is no. He's just another human like you and I. He wasn't perfect. He didn't have all things just right, but he put himself out there, right? He gave it all in an effort to do his part in history. And certainly he had a huge impact, not only in that time, but still does to today. And in this speech that we're going to hear, we're going to hear him tell us how the time is right. But here's a question I want you to have in the back of your mind as you're hearing. What is holding me back? What are you holding on to that is holding you back from becoming all that God wants you to be? And as we listen, see if God can help you identify that. And then when the video is done, I'm going to invite you to stand up and respond and move around the room, go to the various stations, and give that thing up to God. Open your hand and let it go. Let it go today. Watch this. Time. I'm sure you've heard this. This is the argument that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. Only time can bring integration into being. Just be nice and just be patient and, and wait 100 or 200 years and the problem will work itself out. And I think that is an answer to that myth. And that is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I'm absolutely convinced that in so many instances, the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme righties of our nation, have used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. And it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God. 
And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. And so it is necessary to help time and to realize that the time is always ripe to do right. With this faith, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the word of old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Before you go, I want to pray kind of a benediction and also kind of like a call to action from God's word. It comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, words that Jesus himself uh, said when he went to the temple. And this is written as a prayer. So put out your hands to receive this blessing. The spirit of the Lord is upon us. We have been called. We have been anointed. We have been given a task. So go out from this place into the mission field that is the world. We go carrying the good news, the news about freedom from oppression and healing for the afflicted. The time of the Lord's favor is now. Father, bless your children. Bless them with your power and your strength and your grace and your love that we might be able to join you in the beautiful things that you do and find ourselves as we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in God's grace. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thank you.